believe it or not, there are religious-sounding poisons that are making you more sick than healed, more enslaved than delivered. If you're still stuck battling the same old, same old, then listen up. I'm revealing six lies that you might be swallowing as truth. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life. I'm here to do it every week with a live online audience. We're here on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org slash live. Why don't you join us sometime? And by the way, don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. A photo popped up on my phone recently. It was one of those memory photos. You know, a lot of the social media platforms offer that kind of thing now. It said like this day, 11 or 12 years ago, something like that. It was me just before I started this ministry. I was interviewing somebody. Now, some of you have heard. Some of you know some of my story. That's how all of this started for me. I was working for another ministry, and with them, I had access to a film studio. So I started to interview authors and speakers that I thought had powerful stories. So the photo popped up from one of those times, and it got me thinking about where I was back then compared to where I am today. And I could tell you that I am a very different person. People couldn't always tell it back then, but I was hostage to a whole bunch of shame, a whole bunch of insecurity, and mind games. Behind the scenes, I was trying all kinds of spiritual methods and maneuvers to get free of it all. Some of it made me worse, not better. Now, thankfully, I can honestly say that I've been delivered of all that, but it didn't happen through another method of spiritual discipline wasn't through more prayer or more fasting or more memorization or more time with God or more Bible reading, as great as all that stuff is. It happened through a renewal of the mind, unlearning some lies that I had picked up all along my way. I call them lies disguised as truth because many of them came from church. Many of them sounded religious. That's what made them so deceptive and sometimes so difficult to unlearn. But it worked. More than anything else, truth set me free. And so through my time in ministry, I've realized that the lies that held me back are the same ones that hold so many other people back too. They may be the ones that are holding you back too. So I thought it'd be helpful for you to hear them. So you ready? Ready to get right into them? Let's do it. The first lie that I had to unlearn is that I am saved by grace, but maintained by performance. Now, this was never explicitly said by anybody. It was kind of an unspoken principle that kept getting reinforced in different ways and times in my life. You see, I came to my personal relationship with the Lord at 16 years old, and anybody who knows my story knows that at 16, I was a shy, 
extremely insecure kid longing for acceptance, longing for love, and fearing that my every imperfection made me somebody that upset God. But one Wednesday night, January 2001, I walked into this new kind of church that I never knew existed. I was invited by some friends to their youth group. And I heard about a Jesus who loves, who's personal, who has power. Well, I wanted it all. Nobody had to twist my arm into saying yes to him, especially since I was told that all I had to do is believe. And that's the truth. Romans 10, 9, that's just what it says. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's grace right there. It's the forgiveness, acceptance, and approval of God despite what you do. So at that moment when I said yes to Jesus, I was saved by grace. And I knew it. But here's the thing. That didn't automatically change feelings and fears in me that had been built up over 16 years at that point. Yes, I accepted that my past was forgiven, but I still struggled with things in me that weren't changing. So I came to believe that keeping God happy with me was contingent upon my performance, upon me fixing myself. So I turned the faith into a glorified self-help program. The Bible became nothing more than an instruction book to help me get right and stay right with God. And then as I got into college, and shortly thereafter, I get into some circles and environments where it was understood that God showing up and moving in a church service was dependent upon getting cleaned up enough for him to move and show up. So the first decade of my Christianity, I'm thinking I've got to work on myself to stay good with God and got to be good enough in order to convince him to do miracles and convince him to bless me and put his favor on my life. And that kind of thing will send a person crazy because it's impossible. If you could quit everything that's bad for you, if you could fix every aspect of you that's damaged, if you could turn and stay away from every ounce of sin, then you could have achieved the law and Jesus would have never had to die. But God knows that you couldn't. He knows that you can't. You can't clean yourself up enough to be worthy of his presence. He knows you can't fix yourself up enough to be good with him on your own merits. That's why he sent Jesus to do it all for you. That's why you're not saved by grace and then maintained by performance. The truth that will set you free, the truth that set me free, is I am saved by grace and maintained by grace. Had I kept on reading Romans 10, getting to verse 10, I would have seen this. Because right there in verse 10, it says, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Belief. It doesn't say by behaving you're made right with God. It says believing. And made right is an identity change. It's old becoming new. And once you've been made new and made right by God, nothing that you can do or not do changes that. As Paul also said later to the Romans, or actually a little bit earlier to the Romans, he said, nothing can separate you 
from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. No past, no person, no present problems, nothing. So there's so much more that I could say on this lie alone, and I do in my Shut Up Devil book, but I've got five more lies to help you unlearn. So get, let's, let's get to number two here. Second lie. Spiritual warfare is a fight. When I was under the impression that I maintained God's love, acceptance, and approval by my own performance, I felt that everything that came against my efforts was the enemy trying to sideline me. And at that time, to me, everything was spiritual attack, which I had to attack back with even greater force. So there again, disciplines of the faith became the way that I would do it. Like I said earlier, I thought victory came through hours of prayer and days of fasting and specifically worded prayers of deliverance, giving until it hurts. None of which, again, to be clear, are bad things. They each have their place. But to me, I saw them as weapons to use to defeat the devil. But in time, I grew frustrated because they weren't working to maintain the victory like I thought they would. That's when one day, I was reading Ephesians, verse 6, passage about the full armor of God. Maybe you know this one, verses 10 through 17. And God showed me something simple that exposed all my fighting as futile. And at 29 years old, this became the premise of my first book, Silent Satan. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. I don't have time in this message to teach on this entire passage. I do in my Armor of God e-course. But God highlighted the word stand, and he said to me, Spiritual warfare is not about fighting a devil who is defeated, but it's about standing in the victory of the one who defeated him. I should have known. Colossians 2, 14-15 says that the devil was disarmed and defeated on the cross. I couldn't add anything to his defeat. It was a done deal because of Jesus. So when you believed and we're saved by grace, there's nothing more the enemy can actually do to you except to deceive you. For the Christian, lies and deception are really the enemy's only strategies. That's how he gets into your life. So we don't fight him with all kinds of means and methods hoping for victory. No, we engage in so-called spiritual warfare by simply standing on the truth of who we are and what we have in Christ. When your mind is fixed on truth, the enemy's lies can't take root. And I promise you, that changes everything. While we're on the topic of the mind and the devil, let's talk about deliverance, because that's the third lie that I had to unlearn. The lie is that deliverance happens instantly. Now, this one really sounds good, and we want to believe it especially those of us who have been or are part of any kind of Christian denomination or movement that really emphasizes the power of God. 
We know that God has the power to do whatever he wants in an instant. I mean, he spoke the world into existence, into an instant. And the Bible records many miracles of blind eyes and deaf ears opening in an instant and demons fleeing in an instant. And I'd never want to minimize any of that. God does that all today as he did back then. But those are miracles. Those describe exorcisms in some cases, which are different than deliverance. Now, for so many years, I had that confused. I expected that with one prayer or a laying on of hands or a fall to the floor that I should walk away instantly delivered of whatever. But here's the thing. What we've been through, the environments we were raised in, the things we've heard and experienced over and over, those things physically rewired our brains in toxic ways over a period of years. So even if a devil is expelled from you in a single prayer, that doesn't change your way of thinking so that you suddenly make better choices or think better thoughts or say better words overnight. It just doesn't. What does change you is what Paul said in Romans 12, verse 2. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You see, deliverance is the process of being free from something, of being changed into a new person. But as Paul says here, that's a process that happens by changing the way you think. I'll explain it this way. A lot of us in seeking change, we begin to work on the outside things, to fix that, stop this, quit this, start that. But bad behaviors, bad moods, bad language, whatever, those are all products of bad beliefs. You can maybe stop a behavior or hold your tongue for a while, but unless you get to the root beliefs that are influencing those things, they'll just continue. Deliverance is the process of taking down those bad beliefs by applying truth to them in a way that over time actually reprograms your brain. Kind of referring back to the previous lie that we covered, Jesus has provided the victory. Your deliverance to live according to that victory happens as you grow in confidence of it. And that takes time. My Think on These Things journal explains this process and actually leads you through it in a much more in-depth way than I can cover here. But continuing the theme of deliverance and victory, let's move on to the fourth lie. Fourth lie that I had to unlearn is that victory is the absence of struggle. Again, this one sounds really good. It's what we crave. And stories of complete change in experience is what the church tends to only promote because it conveys the power of God and inspires awe and wonder in people. I get it. But as I've traveled across the country, spoken in churches and individually to countless people, who are in the throes of struggle. You know what I found? When we only share testimonies of full 180-degree change, healing or deliverance, yeah, we're odd for a moment. It's cool. It's great. Wow. But then many more people feel shamed by the lie that that kind of story is the only evidence of God's work. Therefore, they think, if I struggle, if I'm not healed, then it must be because I don't have enough faith or I've upset God or something's wrong with me. He's mad at me on and on and on. I've heard it all. Why am I not healed? What did I do wrong? 
it puts people in shame. But while reading through the Apostle Paul's experience with what he called a thorn in the flesh, God spoke something to me that reframed my view of victory. You know Paul's story there in 2 Corinthians 12? This difficulty, whatever it was, wouldn't go away no matter how much he prayed. Then amazingly, he says that he would rather boast about his weaknesses than all the super spiritual things that had happened to him. And he had some cool things happen to him. Things that would be powerful to talk about, I would think. But he said he wouldn't do it. And I wrestled with that. I did. It just didn't seem like victory as I had learned. Why would you not continue to contend with a weakness? But that's when the Lord dropped this truth into me. He said, my grace and weakness is equally as miraculous as the removal of the weakness. I said, how can that be, Lord? What is miraculous about something that doesn't change? He said, grace is the miracle of my presence, upholding human imperfection with a strength to press through what the enemy meant to subdue. I don't expect you to understand the magnitude of that statement right now. It took me a while to process it all. But the gist is this. While stories of 180-degree change, healing, deliverance, they're necessary, they should be told. What equally needs to be shared and celebrated are the stories of those like Moses and Gideon and Paul who remained faithful to God amid difficulties that didn't go away. And again, there's so much that I could say here. But real victory on this side of eternity is not the absence of every problem. Jesus himself said in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. Real victory is knowing that our trials, tribulations, problems, and imperfections don't define us and they don't have to limit or disqualify us. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute, but hear me. It is okay to be a work in progress. You have permission to be imperfect. And besides, I promise you, more people are inspired by any progress you make amid difficulties than they are by progress you make without any. You want to talk about something that builds faith in people, I think that does it, especially for the long run. The fifth lie that I had to unlearn, and this one might really shock you, but hang with me, okay? Hear me out on this. Let me get myself out from the corner that I might back myself into here by saying this. The lie is overcoming sin is the greatest goal. Like I said, let me explain. Because this isn't me recommending sin. This isn't me saying to be complacent or nonchalant about it. But it's me putting it in its place. You can't outsin God's love. You can't outsin God's grace. He is unfailing love. I mean, he is, his character is pure grace. So you, you can't do anything to overpower that. And this goes back to the very first lie that I mentioned. If you believe that your greatest goal is to overcome sin, then you end up becoming so self-focused that you end up doing it all the more. 1 Corinthians 15, 
56 says that law gives sin its power, that it actually increases it all the more. The more you live according to do's and don'ts, the more you live according to methods and disciplines to try to fix yourself, you actually do it all the more. It's like when you keep telling a child or an adult, for that matter, not to do something, they end up doing it because it stays on their mind. Well, when your every waking hour is consumed with not failing and not falling, you get in performance mode and you end up falling. That's why law didn't work to perfect anybody. It only worked to make people exhausted enough to realize that they need Jesus because they can't do it on their own. As I said at the beginning, for so long, I saw the Bible as a self-help manual to stop sin, and ultimately that's not what it is. The Bible is the story of God's relationship with a broken people and how through love he fixed them himself, how through Jesus he dealt with the sin problem himself. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. My recommendation to you, which brought me more freedom and healing than ever trying to stop and fix and quit and turn from everything, is to focus on your relationship with God and how he loves you and who you are in him. It's right believing that leads to right behaving. A lot of us battle because we have that backwards. We're trying to behave our ways into belief when really we believe our way into affecting our behaviors. We're trying to stop sinning while we're thinking of ourselves as a horrible sinner, and it sounds holy, kind of, but it doesn't work that way. Not at all. Okay. Sixth lie that I had to unlearn is that your weaknesses disqualify you. And this is one of those things, again, that I'm not sure anybody said outright. Except the devil, of course. He says that all the time. But it's, it's implied, I think, by a lot of people. If you were to listen to a replay of my life's prayers, you'd hear a lot of, how can I, Lord? When I don't have the money, when I don't have the connections, when I don't have the abilities, when I don't have the life of somebody else, when I'm not perfect enough. And that was a prominent insecurity in me that Something in me or about me didn't measure up to some standard, and therefore, I was disqualified in some way from God's plans. And I needed to reprove myself or fix those imperfections. It took me years to believe that my quirks weren't imperfections that counted me out, but that they were qualities that God crafted or at least redeemed to count me into some plan that he had before I was even born. I love the prayer of David. Psalm 139, we looked at this in the last message. Verse 13, he says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. That right there reveals that God's behind much of our uniqueness. Then David goes on to say in verse 16, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So that means even your brokenness, the things that God didn't intend, 
he saw and accounted for in his plan for you. All of the complexities and complications that make you you were accounted for when he saw you before you were ever born. So that means when he calls you, who you are in the moment is qualified for that call. Now from there, yes, the Holy Spirit will work with you and will change you in various ways to get to whatever is next. But in the moment of the call, who you are is qualified. Gideon's story is what really opened my eyes to this. Do you know it? He was the self-described weakest of his tribe, and he was hiding in fear when God called him to rescue the nation of Israel. From there, God didn't tell him to go get stronger and fix himself before he could go. No, God said, go with who you are and what you have. I am sending you, like, as I said, who you are as you are. Now, Gideon tried to get stronger. He built a massive army of 30-some thousand warriors. But ultimately, God said no. Embrace the weakness. He made him winnow down the army to 300 men. Now, to make a long story short, Gideon and his army won the battle against Israel's enemies. But it really wasn't those 300 men that did it. It was God's grace, despite their weakness, that won the victory. His grace and weakness was always part of the plan. And it's the same for you. Stop focusing on who you are and what you don't have. Surrender to grace, and it'll carry you through. Through it, God will use your life as a living illustration of that truth that all things can work together for good. And trust me, trust me, there's nothing more satisfying than that. And there's nothing more that you're more qualified for. Because for that, God doesn't need your strength, your performance, or your perfection. He just needs your surrender. Let me say this. Because it's taken me 30-some years to get this. And sadly, many have lived much longer and still haven't gotten it. The goal of the Christian life isn't to become many of the things that people have made it out to be. It's not to become a husband or a wife or a minister or a philanthropist or a missionary or even a better version of yourself. But the goal of the Christian life is to fully enjoy the gift given because of the cross, which is relationship with the God who loves you. Let his love and his life flow through you. That's the goal. Everything else that needs to be worked out works itself out from there in God's way and in his timing. I promise you it does. Okay, let's recap the six lies that I had to unlearn. Number one, I am saved by grace but maintained by performance. Number two, spiritual warfare is a fight. Number three, deliverance happens instantly. Number four, victory is the absence of struggle. Number five, overcoming sin is the greatest goal. And number six, your weaknesses disqualify you. Now, do you know why I chose six? Because that's all I had time for. Nothing more spiritual than that. 
There are other lies that I had to unlearn, and you probably do too. And that's why I wrote my book, Shut Up Devil, Silencing the Ten Lies Behind Every Battle You Face. In this book, I reveal the sneaky way that the enemy enters your mind. That's the first four chapters of the book, including the sure way to kick him out of your mind. Then, through the rest of the book, we go through those ten lies that are at the root of your battles. Shut Up Devil is available in paperback, ebook or audiobook, wherever books are sold. I'll send you a signed paperback copy if you order it on my website at kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. That's kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. I'll see you next time.